Hey, thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Who here likes to share? Several hands that are going up. I see none of those hands are children's hands. If, if you know kids like I know kids, you don't have to teach them not to share. You have to teach them to share. Because the fact of the matter is we like our stuff. <laughs> and, and, and we want to kind of bogart our stuff. We want to kind of keep our stuff to ourselves. We want to make sure that there's enough for me at the end of whatever that stuff is. And, and, and in reality, it, you guys raised your hand. I like to share. It all depends on what I'm asking you to share. You know what I'm saying? And so when we think about sharing, we, we, we kind of got to go through this process of, of what is it? Where is it going? How will it be used? There's a lot of things that we can throw into the bundle of that question. Now, obviously, because we're in church and because we're Christians and, and because we know what the Bible teaches us and, and we know how God is and the character of God is. God is a God who shares. We, we want to be like that and we want to say, yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. I want to share. I wanna, you want to share and we'll share the right thing. What if I told you that there was something that I could share with you and as I share it with you, it would not take anything away from me. As a matter of fact, if I were to share this with you, it would actually increase what I have of what I give to you and what you get is more valuable than anything that you could possibly imagine. It's not going to deplete my resource. It's going to give to you and as you give it away, it's going to increase your stash of it as well, right? It's not going to deplete in you. As a matter of fact, the only thing that could make it deplete in you is if you don't share it. It's kind of this crazy thing to where when you share it, it begins to, begins to grow. If I were to tell you that I could share something with you that was more valuable than what your mind could possibly imagine and you can't give it away fast enough, you can't share it fast enough because it's constantly swelling as you give it, is that something that you would say, I want that and I'm willing to share that? Of course, right? We're in the month of missions here at Embrace, and we're recognizing that as a month of missions, missions is simply a movement of God. Well, we sung a song just before the, the last song before I got up here talking about really the redemptive story of God. I believe, and I think that song is so true, that I believe when everything is said and done, when history has been written, and it is nothing but eternity from that point on, we're going to see in a greater light what all of this was really about. We're going to see that the ultimate story in the midst of the great story, there's a lot of little stories, and I totally get that. You're a part of the story. I'm a part of that story. I've got a story, and you've got a story. Everybody's got a story. But ultimately, the story that will be told in eternity will be the redemptive work of an amazing, loving, kind, compassionate God who is not willing to be separated from his creation. And he so desires out of this holiness that he has to rescue, to redeem lost creation and bring lost creation unto himself. I believe the ultimate story and the conclusion of all things is a story of redemption. Why do we do what we do? As a, as a Christian, why do we do what we do as a church? Why so much effort? Why so much expense? Why so much forethought? Why, why all 
of this because we believe that God is a redemptive God and God chooses. He desires to use his people in this redemption story to redeem other people in this world unto himself. And guys, that itself is a movement of God that is worth us sharing every single day. You agree with that? It is, it is the very thing, and, and you're, so you might be still thinking on that first illustration I gave, if I could give you something more valuable than what you could ever possibly wrap your mind around, and the more you give it, the more you gain of it, what is that thing? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it is the good news of God through his son Jesus in his effort to rescue humanity from the own, our own mess that we created out of our own doing. And the more you share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more it continues and the more it grows and the more it grows out there, but the more it grows also in here. I don't know about you, but man, I want it to grow in here as well. And so we've, we've been talking about the, this movement of God as, as, as missions and embrace as the church is a movement of God. And we are all mission as every Christian is. And we've already talked about how we are to be Christians who are sent out with the good news of the gospel because we've got something to share. We talked about share, supporting this, this mission by giving. And, and just to say again, everybody gives something. Everybody should be encouraged to give something so that the mission can continue on. I was going past the board in Greg's office this week, and I just kind of a number caught my eye. There's been 14 men and I believe seven women who have graduated recovery in the year 2022 that you have sponsored, that you have supported that you have ministered to through your giving. And you say, Andy, I can't give a whole lot. It doesn't matter if you can give a whole lot or give a little, but give something because that is a completion to your worship. And so today we're gonna talk a little bit more about this idea of sharing the movement and how we actually grow personally and collectively as we share this movement. If you got your Bibles, flip over with me real quick to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 66. If you don't have your Bible, it's gonna be on the screen as the rest of the verses will be. But if you're looking for the book of Psalms in your Bible, it's in the Old Testament, the biggest book of all of the Bible, 150 chapters in it. It's got the longest chapter uh, recorded in the Bible in that book. This is a book of songs. Anytime you approach the book of Psalms, no doubt it is encouragement that there's, there's a lot of poetry in that. That kind of stuff kind of lifts us up and encourages us and points us in the right direction, but also know that this is a psalm, a song to be sung more than just to an instrument like what was played a while ago, but instead of thinking it, that I've got to sing this out with my voice and instrument, I want you to think of it like this. This is a song that I choose to believe and choose to act out on, and the moments in my day will be the strumming of the instrument of my life, and I'm just going to live out what the psalm has sung out. Who is this psalm writer? Well, ultimately, we know this is a word from God. Ultimately, we know whoever God chose to write this down, pen on paper, or quill on paper, I don't know, maybe charcoal on paper. It was a long time ago on papyrus and on dry leaf. I'm not real sure. 
But, <laughs> you know, sometimes your mind just gets to going when you're talking, right? But ultimately, the Holy Spirit moved. Some people believe that this was, this was David. David the shepherd, the boy king who, who, who was anointed king while Saul was sitting as king. This guy who, who God had such a favor over to where he raised him up to be a mighty conquering king in Israel. And, and some people believe that this was David who was writing as a rejoicing shepherd who was looking over his sheep. Whether that be metaphorically to the children of Israel, the people of Israel, as he as king was shepherding them, or Literally, as he was sitting on a knoll over a grassy spot, watching the sheep of Jesse, his father. Some other people believe that this might have been a psalm that was written by King Hezekiah as he was building up a wall and shoring the gates of Jerusalem as Sennacherib was the enemy to Israel and he was cursing Israel and he was down-talking Israel and dogging Israel and Hezekiah was so filled with the Spirit in a moment to where he wrote this this long 20 verse chaptered song that does nothing but say God you're absolutely amazing and you do amazing things and there's nothing that can destroy your work the work of your hands are established from old and they will continue forever maybe it was Hezekiah I'm not sure exactly who it was just to be completely transparent because I wasn't there it's a shock to some of you but I do know the Holy Spirit. God breathed over these men to write this. And I, I know that some of these guys, whoever wrote it, they were fired up. <laughs> they, they were pumped up. Whoever this was that God chose to write this saw a victory. Whoever this was, he was able to claim defeat over his enemy. Whoever this was, he was doing a, a huge attempt to exalt the name of God because God's name deserves to be exalted. So whoever it was, they got it right. When they said this verse, come and see the works of God, for he is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. Now you guys know that I use the KJV, right? You know, I've, I've lived by the theme, if the king ain't on it, the king ain't in it, right? It's tongue in cheek, guys, relax. <laughs> he is terrible. Some of you guys are thinking of your English dictionary, the word terrible. I've ate some things in my life that was terrible. <laughs> I've experienced some moments in my life that was terrible. The, 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 the root of this old English word means a little bit more than how we have changed its definition over years, hundreds of years of the use of this word. So whenever I'm using this from this translation, it translates into the English in the 1611 or, or even revised since then version of the Bible that I use to say terrible. But quite literally, some of the other translations and possibly some of your translations. If you've got your Bible open in your lap this morning, it may not say he is terrible because how we think of the word terrible today, it may say amazing. It may say the word awesome. Yeah. It may say the word awesome. We, we, when we think of it like this, he is awesome. 
the, the term terrible, not, not meaning bad, but, but instead amazing and awesome in all that he does. He is awesome in his doing toward the children of men. This psalm writer, ultimately God, speaking of himself through the Holy Spirit to this person and ultimately to us. This is the testimony. Come and see <laughs> the works of the Lord. He is amazing. He is awesome. Can, can you testify this morning to the fact that God is awesome? <laughs> he is he is, he is quite literally breathtaking. He is quite literally blowing our mind. He is quite literally doing things, not just as we read them in the Bible, but as we experience them in life. Those moments where we're like, oh, wow, how amazing is our God. Again, if you were here last night, yeah, right up here. Several people gave their lives to Jesus. <laughs> Out in that audience, chains were falling as people were being set free. Minds that had had a certain thought process for years were divinely interrupted and redirected for the purpose of God. Relationships were being restored as lives were being changed. And that was just in a two-hour event in this room. Can you imagine all of what God is doing and has been doing? That's just in Forest, Mississippi. You do understand that God is at other places as well. He's not just here. He, he's not just doing what he did last night. He's not just doing what he's doing this morning here. He's doing that all over the place. When we read the Bible, sometimes we get this tunnel vision perspective that God is only doing what God is only doing then and there. But God, don't, don't miss this. God is so vast and so amazing that he cannot be contained by time, space, or matter. And because he is so vast and so beyond anything that our minds can comprehend, just as well as he is meeting with us this morning, he is meeting with tens of thousands of Christians all over this planet. Just as well as he is being worshipped by praise and prayer and preaching this morning all over the world. He is bringing Holy Spirit conviction upon those who are lost. Don't just think that the Holy Spirit is in this room doing a work here and now. But he's also laying beside the person who has a hangover from last night. Bringing truth and conviction to their heart so that they too might repent and be born again. That's who he is. That's what he's done. He's come into the world to reprove the world of sin. Why sin? Because of unbelief. You know how it was before you came to an acknowledgement of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You remember how it was? Nothing seemed to fit just right. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't fun in sin. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, there's pleasure in sin for a season. There was pleasure in sin for that season, but that season went out. <laughs> And the most uncomfortable person that you could be around in your life was you? Huh? And that's, 
That's the way. And, 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 and you recognize in the moment of that personal disgust that, that you, you needed Jesus. And, and sometimes we think, and as we look back, especially in the earlier stages of our walk in Christ, that, that man, I, I realize you would not have realized we're not God drawing you into himself. God was there. God was moving. God was working. And God was doing because God didn't want you to stay there. God wants you with him, not just here and now, but for all eternity. God is a God who works. God is a God who does because God is a God who knows. And this God who, who does these amazing things is, is, is worth sharing with others. And, and, and again, whoever this psalm writer is, he, he got a lot right in, in the description of how we as a Christian people are to be on the move as a movement of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says an awful lot here in just a handful of words on how we are to be the movement of God. How we can grow by sharing how we can share this movement. How does he do that? How did this guy share the movement in that verse? Well, the first thing I notice is he gives a compelling invitation. He gives a, he gives a real strong, compelling invitation. And, and you may not just see all of that in that verse 5, but let me back up here to a few verses before that. He says, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible or awesome are thou in thy works. Though the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. He says in verse 4, all the earth shall worship thee and sing unto thee. They shall sing thy name. And verse 4, if you're following through, maybe your translation includes this word, Selah. You ever been reading through the Psalms and you see that word and you're like, hmm, don't speak Hebrew, skip. Yeah. The, the word Selah just means pause, reflect, and meditate. It's, this is really a crude illustration, and I don't mean it. By the way, there's no illustration that's perfect. You guys know that, right? There's no illustration that's perfect. But it has the idea to where somebody comes and knocks on your door. And they, as you open your door, you're a little skeptical, you're a little hesitant. Kind of looking at them a little sideways. Today's Saturday. You, you still got on your pajamas. You're really not in, in, enthused to have a conversation. But as soon as the door opens, all of a sudden, the person on the other side of the door begins to describe in great detail something that you have need of. Maybe something that you've been thinking about or longing for. Something that is very obvious. This is not a secret to you or anybody around you. And then he begins to describe in detail not just why you need it, but, but how you can get it and how easily available it is to you. He is, he is, I'm talking about silver tongue salesman, right? And he is giving you all of this information. And after the knock, whenever you first open the door, the first thing you wanted to say was, I'm sorry, we're busy. We don't want any, but something on the initial front caught your attention. It was almost like you couldn't close the door. The invitation this guy was giving you was way too compelling to snuff it out in the beginning. 
Maybe even in his spiel, you're still waiting on the loophole for you to get out. Maybe, maybe you're hoping somewhere even in the beginning of it that your wife or your kids will say, hey, honey, <laughs> your husband will say, hey, who is that? To kind of escape you from it. You can't say no yourself. You're waiting on somebody else to say no. But the invitation just keeps coming. The description just becomes more vivid and colorful in your mind as he's describing. And there is the hook that is set. And then all of a sudden, everybody who's a good salesman knows there should be a, a pause for effect. You feel me? And so he, Selah, think about everything that I just told you. Can you really live without that? Can, can you really continue the way you, you're going, knowing that this is so close and so available? You, you've, you've been doing it the way you've been doing it long enough, and it's just not working in here now. I mean, the God of the universe has chosen that this is the right time for you. He has stepped out of heaven. He has made himself available. He has gone to the cross and take your, taken your place. He has conquered death on your behalf. He reigns in the throne of God even as we speak right now, praying specifically for you. How could you give this up? How could you miss this opportunity? How could you say no to this? Because you may only have so many times to say no to this. How often? How many more times? You see, the... The psalmist, when, when he says, come, it's, it's an invitation. And, and, and the reason that, that we can hang our hat on this so well is because we know that we have a God who is a God of an invitation. You know in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come now, let us reason together. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. The Revelation chapter 22, whoever is a thirst, let him come. God is a God who says, I'm giving you an invitation. Again, crude illustration. You ready? You ready? I'm giving you a deal that you cannot pass up. As a matter of fact, you better not pass this deal up, right? And he's, he's, in, he's, he's inviting us. The fact of the matter is we get invited to a lot of things a lot of times. We, we, we live in such a busy culture and a busy time. You guys get invited to, you guys get invited to your neighbor's third cousin's second removed aunt's youngin's birthday party. You know, fact, let's just be real. They just want the gift. You don't have to show up. Just send the gift. That's what they want, right? <laughs> We, we, we get invited to, to so many things, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but RSVPs, who remembers those? Yeah, very few, don't, they're, they're kind of a thing of the past. Sign-ups, those things are, are somewhat of a thing of the past because we're so inundated with invitations. Well, what, what is it that's going to make you say yes? Well, what's going to be a compelling invitation that catches your attention and doesn't turn it away to where you'll say, absolutely, I'm going to do that? Well, one thing is what makes an invitation compelling is relationship. That there can be somebody that says to me sometime today, hey, let's go get something to eat. And if I don't know them and don't have a relationship, maybe along the priority scale of my life, something takes precedent over that. 
And so I'll have to say no to them because the priority scale of my life says yes over here. There's not a relationship here. But if my wife says, you can forget it, I'm going with her. You know what I'm saying? If my children have a need, then, then that relationship is built. Sometimes the invitation is received. Sometimes it's compelling because of this, this relationship. What about excitement? <laughs> hey, here you go. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? I'm going to have a party at my house at 930 tonight. We're going to have food, fireworks, big screen television, movies, another screen going to have the game. You don't have to worry about nothing. Just bring yourself and your best friend. Right? You come to my house tonight. By the way, that's, that's not true. <laughs> I will be going to sleep in between 9.30 and 10, Lord willing, tonight. Okay, here's one, that's one invitation. Here's another invitation. Hey, I would love to schedule for you to have a root canal tomorrow morning at 7.30. <laughs> Which one's more exciting? <laughs> you know. And, and so sometimes because of a lack of excitement, there's no engagement with a compelling, a compelling invitation. Sometimes it's the packaging of the, of the invitation. How it's packaged. Nobody wants what you don't want. You got to hear that, folks. Nobody wants what you don't want, right? Except embrace. Bring your furniture here. We'll put it in the foyer, right? <laughs> and probably in a month or two, it'll be gone because somebody will need it and we'll give it away. <laughs> now, nobody, nobody really wants what you don't want because you don't want it. And if you don't want it, then it's not going to make us want it, right? It, it really depends on the package of it. Sometimes it's, it's the issue of time. I don't have time, which then bleeds into the idea of prioritizing life. And so, so this compelling invitation here, the psalm writer, when he, when he writes this word in the original language, we get the word come and see. But quite literally when he speaks this truth, he speaks it like this. You can't help but to Come and check this out. You can't stay where you're at. You've got to move this way. You, you, you've got to knock the dust off you. You've got to scrape the, the moss away. There, there's something that you're missing. You, you, and you're going to miss. If you don't get up and move, if you don't come this way, come this way. And it's more than just a compelling invitation of come. He says, come and see. Quite literally, it's, it's more than just a compelling invitation. It's carry them there. It's carry them there. Let's, I, I don't want to be one who just says to you, this is the amazing works of God. But I want to take you by the hand and I want to lead you to that place. And I want to carry you to that place. To where you get to experience. We, we were in Kenya, Africa. This is in 2017, 2018. We went with 110 Vision Missions and had an amazing time. Shared the gospel often throughout the day. 
70-something people gave their lives to Jesus. We established and planted three churches while we were there in just a short period of time. Now, there was a lot of background work that was being done, don't get me wrong. Pastors that were trained and pastors that were in place, ready to receive the harvest of souls that was one to Jesus throughout that time. Well, well, there, there's some unique things in the culture of Kenya. Anybody here ever been in Kenya? That one was so, I, I come away with appreciating so much the value of the simple things. Rice and beans in particular. Ate it just about every meal. They, they, they'll feed you rice for breakfast. And I got to wondering about that and started talking to Christopher, who was an interpreter and, and a pastor of pastors in that area. And it just kind of blew my mind that there's rice for breakfast, rice for lunch, rice for supper, rice as a snack, rice under your pillow when you wake up. I mean, there's rice everywhere. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, how come we eat so much rice? And he says, well, I've been to the United States. He said, y'all treat potatoes like we treat rice. And I'm like, no, we don't. And he said, Hash browns. I was like, dang, you got me. <laughs> Just the simple things of... Uh, another thing that I value is, is, is how soft-spoken they were. I mean, very seldom you would go into a home and you would meet somebody and they would talk much over this. They didn't yell. They didn't get loud. They were patient. They were soft-spoken. Man, I value that. Y'all know why I value Because I'm a loud knucklehead. You know? Especially watching Alabama football. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Another thing that I value was community. And how they loved on each other so much. <laughs> and me and Eli, we were partners in that mission. And, and, and we were going from place to place. And guys, you're in the bush. I mean, you're out there. You, you, I mean, I'm in another country. If you've never been out of the country, it's a weird feeling when you leave the borders of the country that you were born in. And so we, we fly across the big water and, and we land in Switzerland and then we land in Nairobi, Kenya and then we fly again to another place and, and so we're, we're out in the bush and, and I don't know why they call it the bush, they should call it the red clay because there's a lot more red clay than there is bushes and, and you would think in Africa there would be a lot of animals that we eat you. No, they've already eaten most of them. Right? It's not much animals out there less than the Mara but but community, they, they loved on each other and they appreciated relationship and they were so welcoming. And, and Eli, after one of the mornings we went out and shared the gospel, we're in this little place and it's grass huts everywhere and, 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 and they take dung and, and mud and they make the walls of their houses. And, and so we're out there and, and a house is real simple. I mean, you, you ever seen Tiny House Nation? We love that show. I mean, it's Tiny House. And so Eli's like, Hey, Dad, I got to go to the restroom. Good luck, bro. I ain't got a clue. I ain't seen no signs. Christopher, can you, sh can you take Eli to the restroom? What do I do? Christopher grabs Eli's hand. This is, this is culture there. Grabs his hand, and he walks with him hand in hand to the bathroom. And he shows him where the bathroom is. Eli uses the restroom. He comes out. Christopher grabs his hand and he walks him back to me. And you're like, oh, how precious. Right? <laughs> Probably not for Eli. <laughs> what? But, but when I, I thought about this passage, I thought, I thought, 
come and see. He literally carried him there. It was, it was, it was more than just, it's over there. No, no, it's, it's here. Let me, let, me, let me take time out of my life, my schedule, what I'm doing to make sure that you are taken care of. Let me hand in hand with you assist even the most simplest of need you might have in your life. I'm going to go with you to that place. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I am, not, not metaphorically speaking, we, we, can, we can chalk up a lot of things we don't want to do by using that excuse metaphorically. How many people do I hand in hand walk with and say, come and see the works of God? How absolutely amazing. You come and see this. And you come and hear them. And you come see it. God is hand in hand. It, it has the idea of Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, when Jesus is in this stint of healing so many people and so much amazing things are happening to where Jesus is, is, is teaching in a small hut, just like that one in Africa, very possible. And all of a sudden, these friends who have this friend who, who's, who's paralyzed, he can't get to Jesus, it's so packed in this little place, people are hanging out the windows. The windows are closed, not by shutters, but by people but they know they need to get their friend to Jesus. So what do they do? They interrupt the meeting by ripping off the roof and lowering the guy down in front of Jesus because the friend was that important to them. They were willing to grab his hand. They were willing to take up his bed and carry him to the place to where Jesus was so that he might have an encounter with Jesus who could not just Healed, if you'll read the story, forgive sin. There were religious leaders in that room at that time. And the obvious thing was this guy's paralyzed and he needs to be healed. And, 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 and these religious leaders, they didn't like what Jesus was doing anyway. And, and Jesus heals him, take up your bed and walk. And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven you. By his stripes were healed and made whole <laughs> to the nth degree beyond what we could possibly fathom or imagine what all is contained inside of that verse. But there was an action of faith more than just the guy in the bed, but the four men who carried the guy in the bed. See, you, you can be a part of this movement. You say, Andy, I'm not on staff. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm not an elder. I'm, I'm not on kingdom first. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And you can say a lot about what you aren't, but, but what about what you are? You... Huh? You are a carrier. You are a vessel. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you in this earthen vessel contain an immeasurably amazing treasure that is the gospel of Jesus Christ to go and share. Share this movement of God. Come and see all the mighty works of God. And see how awesome the works of God are toward the children of God. Of men. You, you give a compelling invitation, you carry them there, and then you just let God do what God's going to do. And I'm going to tell you this God does not disappoint.
Will Riker. Some of you guys, who knows who that is? He's the kicker for Alabama. Me and Easton's the only one who knows. There may be times to where Will Reichel would disappoint you in the last few minutes of an Alabama versus Tennessee game. It's not on my mind, trust me. But, you know, sometimes husbands and wives, we disappoint each other. And teenagers to parents or parents to kids, we disappoint. Friends may disappoint one another. The fact of the matter is we will let one another down. But God never will let you down. <laughs> this, is, this is the confidence that we have. That when the compelling invitation is given and hand is clasped in hand and we carry them there. I promise you God's going to show up. God's going God's gonna to show up and God's going to do miraculous, amazing things. The question is not, will God show up and will God do, but do you have the faith to step up and make that compelling invitation, knowing that there will be some who say no? Will you reach out your hand to carry them there? Knowing that some may jerk away at the moment. Do you still have the faith to say, but there's somebody out there. There's one out there. I, I know that if I keep searching, I keep sharing, I, I keep going, I, I keep growing in this. And I know somebody's, somebody's going to get it. Can I, can I tell you how many times a week I share the gospel? Not, not doing this. Please don't understand, misunderstand me. Not, not because of this, but I share the gospel several times in a week. I shared it here recently with a 19-year-old young man who claimed to be an atheist right here in this office. I shared, it with, <laughs> I shared it with a guy at Nike Outlet Mall yesterday. I love using unique ways to share the gospel. I saw a, I saw a LeBron James t-shirt and it said, King Me. And it had his initials in number 23 and I looked at that shirt and I said, hmm, got him. <laughs> As a dude working the rack, and I said, King me. I said, You know where they get the, the, the phrase King James for LeBron James? Ain't got a clue. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the fields are white unto harvest. Well, that's a reference to the Bible. Do you know anything about the Bible? Not much. And I, I, was, I was talking to one guy who was in the back, and he was decked out in Nike attire because he works at Nike. And I'm like, Hey, bro, what would happen if you showed up with some Adidas on? He's like, fired. I said, that would fire? What if you wore one sock that was Converse and one sock that was... He said, we own Converse now. I said, no, man. But let's just say Puma. Let's say you come in with a Puma hoodie. The girl comes up and everybody's kind of... About three or four workers are coming up now and they're kind of interested in this dumb dude's conversation, right? I said, yeah, fired. The girl says, yeah, you would be fired immediately. I said, man, Nike... They demand some loyalty, don't they? Guy says, yeah, if you want to get paid, you better be loyal. I said, can I tell you somewhere where you can go and you'll volunteer your loyalty once you understand it? <laughs> Just step back and watch God do a work. Let me tell you about this, this guy named Jesus. He wants loyalty, but he's willing first to put out his loyalty to you. 
He's going places and doing, he's committed to you. As a matter of fact, he's been so committed to you, he died for you before you were born 2,000 years ago. Here's something to even wrap your mind around. He died before the world. The plan of God was he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was the plan of God through the death of the cross before the world was even created. How loyal is, is God to you there? Man, I'm telling you what, there was such a revival that happened in Nike. 7,000 people got saved. They closed the store. It was amazing. We commissioned 8,000 missionaries out of the 7,000 that were saved. God was doing something, right? No, it's just joking. None of that happened, but I, I know that in that moment at that time, it was for me to give an invitation, take them by the hand, and let God do what God's going to do. Right? It's up, it's up to God and up to them in that moment. I know that sometimes it's just not going to happen. But it ain't going to make me quit sharing the movement. Because if somebody would have given up on all the no's before they got to me, I'd have never had an opportunity to say yes. Luke chapter 17, verse 5 through 10. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> and Jesus, what is he going to do? He's going to give them a story here. No, Jesus, I want the quick fix. Sprinkle a little fairy dust over me and make my faith explode. That's what I want. That's what all of us want. The Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you may say unto the sycamine tree, be plucked up from the root and be planted into the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you having a servant? Now he's going to go into another story. Time out, Jesus. I ain't fully get the first one, right? Jesus is saying, you know what? The, there, must be, there must be some power packed in faith if the faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed is able to do that kind of work. Understand that it's more than the amount that's being mentioned here, but the direction in which you place it that makes the difference. Faith in you ain't going to get you squat. Amen? Faith, but faith in him can, can do something amazing. And then he shares this next story. He says, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by. And he come in for the old and, and sit down to me. And then the story is this. Jesus says, you would tell that guy, get up and serve me. And when you're done serving me, then you can eat because he's a, he's a servant. The, it goes from the power packed amount of faith when it's directed into the right thing to now the expectation of the actions of faith. It's more than just this, this mystical thing that can do powerful things, but, but even just the simple expectation of an action that says, even though I might not see the sycamine tree plucked up, cast into the sea, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do as I am supposed to do it, I know ultimately, Lord, I am to serve you and I'm not to give up and start self-focusing on me and, 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 and totally miss what you've got going on. I, I, I want to make sure that, that I understand small faith equals small things, single faith equals single things. But when my faith is focused in Jesus, then it can be explosive things that happen. And this is to be done consistently and continually 
without giving up. I just keep pressing on. You see, the problem with a lot of people and no longer sharing the movement, there, there's, a, there's a few things. Number one, if you don't share the movement, it's quite possible that you didn't receive a movement. <laughs> you need to understand that. If, if you're not sharing the movement, fact of the matter is you're going to share something. If you're not sharing the movement, maybe you didn't get the movement. Maybe this morning you can get the movement and the movement will change your life so much to where you'll go out and start sharing the movement. The movement's all about the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, right? Maybe it's that you've shared it and now you've gotten discouraged. You've gotten tired. We use the phrase burned out when really we mean I've backslidden. Man, that's me. I, I, I've stopped doing the fundamental thing that I know to do. It's become a lack of faith in my life and anything without faith is sin. Maybe that's it. Maybe you thought to yourself that this is not necessarily worth it. I keep doing this and I keep doing this and I keep... And maybe you're just discouraged in sharing the movement. You... You keep sharing them. It's like that story that was told a long time ago about that little boy who went to the beach. You guys know this story, right? Little kid goes to the beach. He sees a pile of starfish. He picks them up, starts throwing. Who's ever heard that story? Yeah, starts throwing them. Star well, some of us ain't, so I'm going to keep telling it. <laughs> Old guy walks by and he says, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving the starfish. He said, you'll never be able to throw all of these starfish in the ocean they're going to dry up and they're going to die before you can get it done. You're not making a difference. And he picked up one that was still alive, squishy and squirming. And he threw it into the ocean, threw it in the ocean. And he looked at the man and he said, I made a difference in that one. Made a difference in that one. I've heard that phrase so many times. I would like to add a little bit to the story. I would like for the young man after he throws the starfish into the, into the sea to turn back and say to the guy, I made a difference with that one. And if you'll stop being who you are, you can help me make a difference with others. You know what I'm saying? Get off your high horse. Stop being negative Nancy. Sorry if there's anybody's name Nancy. <laughs> and start throwing some of these back in the ocean. Right? So that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. Sharing this move. Why did God save you? Not to sit soaking sour. Not just to hit it on cruise. But to get busy, get busy for Jesus.